and as you're being seated, the kids, you guys are dismissed to your classes, and you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 20 through 23. Genesis chapter 1, 20 through 23. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we're about ready to open up your word. The words that we have just proclaimed, may they not just be words that we say, but words that we actually understand and believe, that you are the author of salvation, and you are the Lord, the ruler of every man. Because you are the author of creation, you now have the right and the ruler and the sovereign creator of all things. Help us to understand that more clearly today. Help us to see the beauty of your handiwork all around us. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen. The world, as we have talked about over and over and over again, and I pray that we do not get tired of saying this and reminding ourselves of this, that the world declares the glory of God. And we see it all around. We see his handiwork. We see his wisdom. We see his sovereign hand on all the things around us. Uh, and this week, uh, there's a, a thing I came across. I've heard about this before, but um, I spent some time digging into it and studying it. And it's just amazing how we see God's handiwork wherever we go. Uh, there's a uh, mathematical formula in math called the Fibonacci sequence. Uh, I'll let you decide who came up with the Fibonacci sequence. Some guy probably named sequence, right? Yes, no, but... The Fibonacci sequence is a sequence that is all over the world. The uh, sequence that goes like this, it's a mathematical sequence. It's the sum of two numbers and then that precede it. So it goes 0, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, and so forth and so on. It has been called by some nature's secret code or the nature's universal rule. Uh, this pattern is all around us. Uh, many say it's an underlying universal grid that all things are built on. You see it in some areas like the Nautilus shell, that circle that goes continually is a math pattern. You'll see it in flowers. You'll see it in pine cones. You'll see it in the spinning of hurricanes. You'll see it even in the spinning of galaxies all across our universe. This Fibonacci sequence doesn't just stop in nature. In graphic design, it is all over the place. They call it the golden ratio. If you get things like that, I guess you have hit the mark on the head, and this golden ratio goes to logo designs, print designs, website designs. Now, I did not look at our website to see if we hit the golden ratio or not. I have no idea what that even means other than people say this all the time, that it hit the golden ratio. Again, creation just screaming, order, and design. It's interesting that even the secularist Albert Einstein. And now I want to make sure you understand the secularism. I'll quote him, and then we'll talk about this for a second. Albert Einstein said this, Of course, there's a massive intelligence behind the universe. A man is a fool who doesn't believe that. But then he goes on to say, but we could never know. And so what a secularist is, is someone who says that there is a God and a creator, but he is not personal. He hasn't communicated anything other than just showing his handwork. And so there's a massive gulf between him and mankind, and we cannot know him. And so one of the reasons why secularism, even today, 
is huge in our world is because we don't then have to deal with what God has actually said about mankind. We like it when he answers everything. And if you were alive during September 11th when that happened in 2001, you saw secularism in the United States because the moment the towers fell, we all went, God bless America. And then once everything calmed down, we're done with God now and we'll go back to our, our living. And so we use God whenever we want to use him. So we'll use him like Albert Einstein when he was looking at the laws all around, the physics and everything that he was working with day in and day out, screaming God's creative power. He would just say, yeah, of course it's there, but we don't want to go any further. But we're going to find out that God is not a God that is impersonal out there across some void. He is actually involved with his creation every day. So if you're not at Genesis 1, 20 through 23... Turn there and we're about ready to read. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let, the, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heaven. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So what we're going to see here again, God by the sheer power of His Word, and I do not want to ever get to the point where we get tired of hearing that God, through the power of His Word, is creating things that do not exist. As the Word goes forth, it awakens things that did not exist. Think through this even in the Gospel. The power of the Gospel message goes forth and makes blind Stony hearts live. This is the power that God is doing in creation, and that same power is the power that saves us as well. But what we see here, again, God, through the power of His Word, literally the spoken Word of God, is now creating things, and He's creating and designing these things for specific purposes to do what He has called them to do. And we need to make sure we understand that because He is the sovereign King of all of creation determining how creation is going to function. So as we look at creation, it points us to God and His rule and should also encourage us through our daily lives, which hopefully we'll see as we move through here. But let's look at some of these words here that we're coming about. In verse 20 here, point number one, we're going to see the swarming of life. It's interesting, it's let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Another way of saying this is let the waters swarm with swarming things. Now this idea of the swarming of swarming things, the only thing that in my mind as I was reading guys talk about this, so imagine, um, so this is how I live in my brain. Those old black and white movies where like you'd have a really huge locust kind of attacking this weird little town, you know, and you can tell they just zoomed out with really bad... Uh, movies, things. But when I think of a swarm, I think of locusts coming in and literally just covering the sky you can't see. Or those ones where you see in um, Australia where the mice are just destroying farms and they're just all over the place. That's the picture you want of this swarming, swarming things, this movement of life that is all over the place, which is interesting. This is the first time creation is called to move in this way. This is swarming things to do what they've been called to do, which is swarm, all right? May these swarming things swarm. And notice in this swarming things, he calls them something that we'll get to in a little bit. Here's these are living creatures. Uh, plants are not called living creatures because they're not mobile. 
in that same way. Now you may say, well, if you've seen dandelion, those things seem to be mobile. Well, we're not talking about the same mobile that we have here. What we see here, this picture, this idea of living creatures moving, this idea of this swarming going on is a large population of animals moving all over the place and this whole movement, this continual ground that is moving here, almost if you want to call it, of living creatures, these things are called living. And you go, well, what difference is that? And I'm going to say because, remember, as mankind, their love to worship anything other than God, we can get so... Uh, in our mind, not thinking clearly in so many of these ways that we can make plants something that plants are not. We can make animals something that animals are not. We can make them gods. We can make them whatever. And just to help you out here real quick, plants are not called living beings. All right, and you're going to go, wow, that's a revolutionary thought. Actually, it is in our world. Because there's literally people that believe in their rejection of God and all things that if you were to even eat a plant, you'd be killing a living being. And God's clear right now, the only thing that is called a living being is animals. Uh, so you are safe to go home and eat your salad. But there's a big difference between plants and animals. And we're going to get here because there's a big difference between even, we're going to get to the idea of blood, which is going to be huge in the atoning world here. So turn with me real quick in Genesis here to Genesis chapter 9. Because now we're dealing with living beings. We have, we're going to get to living beings, which are going to be fish and birds and the sea creatures. But in Genesis chapter 9 here, again, I want you to hear the creation narrative where after the flood has happened, God is establishing His covenant with Noah. And in Genesis chapter 9 here, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hang on to that thought. We're going to get to that because he's going to tell that to someone long before he tells it to Noah's sons. Verse 2, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I have given you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its blood, with its life that is its blood. We're going to see in God's economy here that there is a direct distinguishing between what makes something a living creature and what does not is the fact that it has blood in it. And you will get multiple statements that are made after that, but I just want you to just keep that in your mind that a living creature is something that has blood that is flowing through it. Now, that all being said, that is something, again, as I said before, put that in, in your mind because we're going to get to a point can blood be transferred from one living thing to the next? And what do you do with atonement? And what do you do with all of these things? It's very key to understand life and blood are very important and used in God's economy to understand even we talk about Jesus' life-giving blood and all of those things that are there. This symbolism is going to be rich throughout the Bible. But here's where we start to see these very foundational things taking shape. The difference between plants and now living creatures. And the reason for that is the blood that is flowing through them. Now, there's one thing I want to point to here real quick. You're going to go to Psalms. Now, you want to bear with me here. We're going to go to Psalms, and then we're going to come back to Genesis. Then we're going to go back to Psalms again. So if you don't want to go back and forth, just keep your finger in the Psalms. But go to Psalm chapter 8. And in Psalm chapter 8 here, there's a phenomenal, phenomenal truth 
that I, we need to spend time pausing because we were talking about these living creatures, right? And in day five, the living creatures are the ones that are going to be swarming in the sea. And it's interesting how in mankind's study of the universe around us and the world around us, there are many times man discovers something and then they later go back and they read the text of Scripture and find out it was in the text of Scripture all along. We just did not read it and understand it. Well, in Psalm chapter 8, verses 5 through 8 here, speaking of, of man, it says, Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, and all the beasts of the field. Now, verse 5, I mean, verse 8, speaking of day 5, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea are put under man's rule. But notice it says, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. This idea of paths of the sea was just thought at one time to just be poetic jargon than the Psalms until in the 1800s when they actually understood there are paths of the sea called the ocean currents, literally that animals travel on in these paths of the sea. God knew this through the psalmist long before that they were literally paths of the sea that move and, and the, uh, the animals and the fish actually swim through these paths of the sea that can actually be charted and you can see where they go. I always find it amazing how we sit here and we only just acknowledge what God long time knew and His Word has clearly taught us. Now when we go back to Genesis 1.21, not only are these swarming swarms of living creatures and the flying creatures going on in verse 21 here, and, not, and in your mind you need to think of these swarming swarms of creatures following the paths of the sea, the birds filling the heavens, and in verse 21, you might go, why does it seem that God does a, a, almost like a pause and he goes back through again? Because he's going to mention something. Verse 21, so God created. Now that word created there, the first, last time we saw that, little quiz here, that word created was only back in Genesis 1.1. This is now the second time that word created has actually been stated. Because there's a distinguishing thing that's going on here. Now he's creating living things. But notice not only that. What is, what is, he go, what is the, the thing here that he's creating? Created the great sea creatures. And you go, why, why are we going, why take time out of this flowing text here to say, and by the way, the same word created, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Why are we going to use created here again for just, Sea creatures. One of the things we have to make sure we understand, the moment we see the word create, this is God now creator, creator God, which by definition means he is king, he is ruler, he is sovereign over these things. This is when you hear creator because he's created it. This gives him the right and the rule over what he has now created. Like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he has the right and the rule to tell everything under the heavens and the earth what to do. Now all of a sudden we're going, why sea creatures? I mean, what's up with this? The great sea creatures, when this was written, and even to this day, and you, you read this all the way through our, our history, these great sea creatures 
are viewed in many ways, especially in pagan cultures, as the great feared sea creatures, where you have the evil of the sea creatures against the, the good gods of the land, and this back and forth going on, these sea creatures that take maritime people captive, and all these other things going on. And what do we see here? We don't see here like the Canaanites that the Israelites lived around, all of those things fearing them. What is Moses, by God's telling him what to do, go out his way to say, and you know who made those great sea creatures that you all fear? God created them. He is the ruler over the things that you have no idea who controls. These sea creatures are not just random things that take people captive. These sea creatures are not just random things that we fear. These things are what God has created, and He rules over them all. He is sovereign over them all. God created them. There is nothing to fear. And not only are these great sea creatures ruled by God, go back to Psalm 148, the psalmist here in one of their songs, as you would have these great sea creatures that are feared and all these other things, and you see this all across. I mean, you get the, what is it, how many thousands of leagues under the sea is it? Something, in, even in that movie, we got sea creatures. Is it 10,000 or 100? 20, all right, yeah. It's in the thousands. You're down deep enough, right? And we see those great sea creatures, and in Psalm 148, verses 7 and 8, it says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all depth. It's declaring that, the, that not only is the land supposed to praise God, what? These great sea creatures who seem unruly are supposed to praise God, and all of the depth that is within there. Fire and hail and snow and mist and stormy wind fulfill His Word. All of these things are doing exactly what God has created and ordained them to do. Not only that, even in our own sacred scriptures in Jonah. Remember Jonah rebelling against God, and God is, is chastising Jonah, getting his attention, and Jonah is thrown into the sea. And not only does the sea stop, but the text tells us a great fish. So when you say a whale, the, the Bible does not call it a whale, it calls us a great fish. Another way of saying it could be a great sea creature, is appointed by God, the text tells us. We looked at this. This fish is appointed by God to come and swallow Jonah. Jonah lives inside of that great fish for three days. And not only that, when the appointed time comes, the fish throws up Jonah onto the land, obeying its creator, God. And these are things we need to pause and reflect on. Because the creatures that God has created obey His sovereign decree exactly how He has called them to do. It's one of the things that I think we need to pause and reflect because one of the number one things that mankind wrestles with is that we have a King of kings and Lord of lords that we need to submit to. We'll get to this in a, in a little bit as we go down the, the, the line, but let's be honest with ourselves. One of the the doctrines of the Word of God that chafes at man, other than God's holiness and things like this, the idea that someone else has the right, not only the given right, because you are a created being, but has the right because He is God Himself to tell you what you are going to do and hold you accountable to it and even create you how He has chosen to create you and place you where He has chosen to place you. God is sovereign all of these things. And you know what mankind wants to do? Mankind wants to rebel against God every way that it can. It wants to rebel against God. When God says, this is what you shall do, we say, no, we want to do more. We want to spread ourselves out. We want to do what God has not said. I mean, you look all throughout. 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does man do? We're going to build a tower together and rebel against God. Spread out. Do what God has called you to do and we rebel. And we rebel and rebel and rebel against God's sovereign creation. You look at Psalm chapter 2. And in the psalm there, it says, it's like mankind, the rulers of man get together and they say, let's throw off our bonds. Let's throw off all these things because we are going to do what we want to do and rebel against God. And the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 2 there, he laughs. God laughs in the heavens. Nice try. And mankind thinks that we can define this, we can, we can redo this, we can say marriage is this, we can say humanity is that, and we think that we have now somehow arrived, and all we have done is tried to rebel against a Creator, and as if God sits there and says, like you thought that that was going to somehow not work out in the plan that we have already planned. God not only has the ability, and He has decreed the beginning from the end, and He has even decreed man's rebellion into His plan to bring Him the ultimate glory. And man, sadly, we all love to stand and say, God, I got this. I think I can do it on my own. And God says, oh, you do not know. I am the creator, the sustainer of all things, and without me, you would not have a single breath let alone the ability to rebel, and you think your rebellion is going to somehow thwart my plan. I mean, look at Joseph's brothers. There's a great line where Joseph, look, you meant this for evil, but what? God meant it for good, to save me. So we see God's creative work all around us. We see his sovereign plan all around us. We see him call the things of this world to swarm and to swarm at His command. And next, not only that, we're going to see the swarming of life that obeys Him, we're also going to see the flight of life. Look here as well in verse 21. And every winged bird according to its kind, and God is going to see that it is good, and He's going to bless it. This idea of even flight. Not only do we have swarming, swarming going on in the ocean, but we have the sky that's now going to be filled with birds. But remember, mankind, in trying to do like what Albert Einstein wanted to do, just say, let's move God to the corner, and we're going to try to define everything apart from God. What you're going to find is, and I want to be careful of this, because sometimes, if we're not careful, because God has opened our eyes to see some of these things, if we're not careful, we can sometimes treat those who their eyes are blind to the things of God in a mocking way. And I'm trying to not mock at all, but what I want to show you as we work through this the simple idea of flight, how when sin comes into our lives in the unsaved world, it so blinds you of the truth. Because let's be honest, if you look around us, there are some things all around us that declare God's glory. Things that are so clear when you look at God's Word, what things are. I mean, the sheer fact that we have a sinful world unable to define some of the most basic elements of humanity should cause us to almost weep of how blind we are. Let's look at this even idea of flight. So I got this from a scientific article from UC Berkeley. And here is literally a scholarly paper, I will summarize it, how evolution of flight happened according to them. What you had many millions of years ago was an animal that would use its arms to gather prey. And this animal had these small feathers that were hanging off the bottom. 
And as this animal would gather prey, generation after generation, these small feathers got longer because they could gather in more prey. And time and chance, as gathering in more prey over and over and over again, one day this one animal that had especially long feathers hanging from its arm, during a time of mating, got especially excited and literally, here's what the scholarly paper said, jumped into the air and glided back down to earth. And we had our first flight. And from there, animals have been going into flight. And you sit here and you, it almost makes me sad to go, we're literally trying to teach people these things. I mean, it is, it is to the point of like, you either go, am I mocking this? Or am I weeping over how hard we try to move God out of the way? And not only this, do we have this, because part of me goes, this is like Toy Story, you know, we're falling with style. Remember that? You're not flying, you're just falling with style. This is what they're trying to say. Now kids, this is how flight happened. And sadly, not only that, they talk about the miracle of flight. And you look at that and say, let me explain to you a miracle. Here's a miracle that on day five, God created birds by the sound of his word, lightweight birds with smooth feathers that reduce the force of drag when they go. A beak that instead of being a heavy-jawed beak, a beak that is created in such a way that reduces its weight. And a large breastbone inside the bird called the sternum for flight muscles to be attached to that helps with downward force. Bones that literally are filled with air sacs that are so thin, yet strong at the same time to reduce the force. A skeleton that has been attached to powerful muscles that create force when moved. A streamlined body that helps reduce the force of drag and wings that enable force and lift to happen together. Now you tell me as a logical person sitting there, which one do we see all around us? And we sit here and we say, this is the God that we serve and worship. Are we awed by it? Or will we go to any length possible to try to deny Him? Because if we can deny God, deny His sovereign rule over us, because when He calls man to repent, now we've got to deal with that, don't we? But if we can remove Him from His throne, we can create a God of our own, of our own wants. Not only that, not only do we have a God who's created these birds to fly with the ability to fly. It's interesting, as I was doing some more reading on this, for a moment here, I want you just to stand in awe. Last week, we talked about the God of the sun, the moon, and the stars that bear witness for time for the earth. Not only that, but not only are these sun, moon, and stars bearing witness, they're also bearing witness to the birds as well. On another study, you could go down not only the miracle of flight, but the miracle of migration. Not only are these birds flying, but they know when to fly, they know where to fly, and all of these things. Birds have an accurate sense of direction because they have an inner compass that tracks three things, the sun, the stars, and the magnetic field. Their sun compass, as they call it, the inner biological clock, enables them to compensate for daily movements of the sun across the sky so they can accurately determine the compass direction at all times of the day. Experiments have also shown that birds use the sunrise and the sunset angles to fix their, their direction of migration each day. Not only that, but nocturnal migrating birds use the stars to keep them on course. 
And do we stand there and look at all of this and say, what a wonderful God we serve. That he has created all of these things. Uh, this morning I was sitting there and we put out grape jelly because I always wonder, like, so who was the first person to put out grape jelly and says, oh, Orioles like grape jelly. Like, I don't know. I mean, those are ones like, who came up with that first, all right? Somebody's sitting there eating a peanut butter jelly sandwich and here come the Orioles. Well, if you put out grape jelly, the Orioles come and they're all over the place. How did they get from where they were to here? There was no one showing them the way, but God had placed in them when he created how to get here. The robins, I mean, we all look in excitement when the robins come. As they, we all sit there and go, hey, did you see your first robin or whatever? Because what do we know is coming? Spring. How do the robins know spring is coming? Because a lot of time, and no, no, it's because God has given them the inner workings to understand these things. And what do robins do? They obey the Creator's rule and they tell them when it's time to go south, they go south. When it's time to go north, they go north. And then we'd sit here and debate, are robins native of this country or are they native of that country? And they can, the argument goes on, you know, forever. Do we sit and listen? In those moments now when we're able to raise our windows at night and hear the birds in the morning singing the praises of God, and they're not worried about what they're going to eat that day or where they're going to live or all those other things, and what do we do? We wake up that day and start worrying. And what are the birds doing? In a nice, kind way, it's telling us, did you sing the praises of the Creator God today? Or are you so worried about fill-in-the-blank? Are you worried that you haven't been able to get this planted because it's too wet? And remember, we've already talked about the arguing and complaining about things being too wet. You wake up in the morning and you go, will we have this food? Will we have that? And what do the birds do? They do what God has called them to do. And not only that, notice we see this in point number three here. Not only do we see the swarming of life, not only do we see the flying of life, but notice in verse 22 here, and it says, and God blessed them. God is looking at these created beings, these living beings, and this is the first time we have God actually giving them a blessing. And in this blessing from the Almighty God, He tells them to do something. Because in this blessing is actually a command. Notice He doesn't say to them, if you're not doing anything else, could you do this? In blessing them, He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. This idea of fruit, fruitful. Now, I want to be clear, you see them together and there's a lot of similarities, but there's slight differences. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time trying to break down all the differences, but I just want to give you the slight differences that they're here. The idea of being fruitful means to flourish or abound. This idea of being fruitful mean, would be to fill everything that God has created for you, to abound in it. Um, another way of saying it is like that you'd fill all the nooks and crannies, which I don't know what a cranny is, but I know what a nook is. But this would be the idea of filling them all in this world all around us to be fruitful during that time when he's talking to the animals. And then he also says to multiply, to increase in number and reproduce. God is a God of bounty. He is a God of saying you've been created to do this, to fill the earth, to use the earth. The animals were to use and to live in all of the earth here. There was not a spot that said, do not go. I want to be clear on this. The animals were called to fill the earth and to live in bounty all over the earth. Keep that in mind when we get to even mankind. 
Because there's a push against mankind that somehow when man entered, everything went down. All right? You know, in Bambi, when does everything happen when man enters the forest, right? You know, and you're going, that is not biblical. All right? We all, and I always like to say, I'll give my little shot at Bambi. We weep too when Bambi mom's, Bambi's mother dies because we want the dad to die, not Bambi's mother. You know, we'd rather have the buck die, not the doe. But in these stories here, what do we have? We have all of these things that make man evil, and as if the animal world is the only good thing, and what is man? Man is evil, animal's good. No, what do we see here? It's God blessing the animals, saying, fill the earth, go all about, everywhere, increase in number, multiply, swarm, as we have this text. Now, I want to pause for a second, because there's, there's something we have to ask ourselves. These were created to fill every spot on earth. Well, there's a limit to that. So, what's going on here? Because it wouldn't take too long, wouldn't take too many years where there is no more room for these to fill. What do we do with that? Here's what we do. When God gave these commands, God, who not only knows the beginning from the end, planned the beginning from the end, knows that man will rebel because it is part of God's plan and death will come into the world and animals as well as humans will be impacted. And we sit back and we say, God, who created all of these things, will command them knowing that they will be impacted by the fall as well. And so we pause and we remind ourselves the thing that we have said from the very beginning, everything God does is perfectly and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplishing everything he has decreed. Everything God does is perfect and completely wise and is the fittest means to accomplish everything he has decreed. So the question I have in front of us today is this, do you actually trust that what he is doing in your life is what is best? So, this is how it plays out. All of us are wondering, will we ever get to mow our yards, right? If you haven't been able to get out there, right? And so, in your brain, you know, and I always like to say, once you start mowing, you don't stop until the fall, right? So, like, don't rush it. But there's this coffee shop in town that um, my son has volunteered to mow at. And on Friday, we were going to mow it. Well, guess what it did on Friday? By God's wonderful grace, it rained, right? And we were like, thank you, Lord, for rain, you know? And you're like, come on, preacher, you were the one that told us about being thankful for rain. But it's miserable to mow in the rain, right? And so then he was off for the, for the Saturday. He, was, he went out with some of his friends, and I told him, you know, we knew that was going to happen. It was planned already. And so I said, listen, just say thank you, Dad. I said, I'll mow the first one for you to get the thing going because... We were going to do it Friday, and God decided, no, we weren't going to do it on Friday. So I'm trucking over here on Saturday morning, and guess what it is doing while I'm driving here? It wasn't supposed to rain, but what is it doing? Raining, right? And I'm here, and I'm out there mowing this grass, getting frustrated that grass is growing by God's creative plan, right? That flowers are blooming called dandelion. That is a flower. It is not a weed, all right? And all of these wonderful things that God has created for us, and this water to nourish the ground and everything that He has given us, the birds are out there singing, 
and I've got the mower as high as I can spraying grass everywhere because how are you going to pick this stuff up? Grumbling. As if God didn't know that this was going to happen and it didn't go according to Tim's plan. And all of these things happened over and over and over again. And I'm going, wake up. Think, Tim. Think through these things of all the blessings that God has given you. He has given you life and breath. And there are creatures all over the place doing exactly what God has created. And yet you're sitting here in the moment complaining that you're mowing while it's raining, knowing that that's going to fill the, the ground to grow things again, and you want to go, what complainers and grumblers we are. Do I trust God's sovereign plan in that? Because, you know what? All of creation is held together by God. Do I trust Him in these moments? When I look at my own life, do those things cause me to go, Notice the birds. Notice all of these things that are around us that God is taking care of day in and day out. And we just stand in all of it. The question in front of us is, do we trust Him? Do we really trust His sovereign plan in our lives? Or are we so busy in our life that we never pause and understand that God is the sovereign creator and ruler of all things? And now you may say, Tim, it feels like you're pounding this. I'm telling you what, this is what Scripture is telling us. We've gone out of our way every day. What do we see? Ruler, creator, God. 24 hours of ruler, creator, God. What do we see in day two? 24 hours of ruler, created God. We get to day five. What do you think God's trying to tell us? I am the ruler, the creator, the sustainer of all things. Do you trust me? And us creatures are going, huh, I don't know. Because our first parents are going to go, maybe our way is better than the Creator God. And you see this, and we all sit here and we all smile at Adam and Eve, but I would say, look at your own heart. For those of you in this room that are not following after God, how is that going? All you're doing is replacing, if you're not a follower of God, you're replacing God with stuff that will always fail you. For you believer who's sitting here, when you look at the world around you, are you actually trusting God to do His work in your life? Parents, are you trusting God to do His work in your kids' lives? Are you trusting Him or are you saying, no, I've got this God? Because there's not a single thing you can do. Remember when we talk about worry and anxiety, what does God say? What does the Creator say? Look at creation. Now then look at your own life. They don't sow or reap or harvest, yet God takes care of them. Who do you think you are, that you're any less than them? He knows you. He knows when it's appointed for your time to go and not. They have already been numbered. One ounce of worry is not going to change anything. As Daryl's thinking about going home to pass away, maybe soon here, that is not taking God by surprise. Those were deemed before he even took one breath of life here. Some of you may never have that opportunity. Some of your lives may stop sooner than later. But God is sovereign over all things, and our response is praise and glory to Him for the life that He's given you. It's also then undying trust and love to our great Savior, Creator God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Help us now. 
These things we say are so easy to be said. These things we all nod our heads to are so easy to do. And then all of a sudden we see a a news feed that comes across. We hear about the dollar and its struggles this way or that way. We hear about government and its failure one more time to fail at even failing. And we just start to trust our own strength. We start to trust man instead of trusting you. Help us to sit quietly before your throne. And then out of that quiet pondering, may it result in incredible praise to our great God and Savior. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.